All right, this is Chris. Welcome to the Landed Podcast. Uh, today in studio, I have Gina Jacob. Welcome, Gina. Well, thank you. And uh, this is Gina's first podcast, by the way, but but nobody will <laughs> nobody will recognize that. I promise. She's a natural. Um, so, Gina, um, you know, you've been kind of hanging out with uh, the Landed crew for the past three or four weeks. It's been great to have you around, and um, you know, through talking to you. Um, it, it's just evident to us that, you know, you're of like mindset, um, and I know you have had a pretty extensive HR career. Um, is that, that is correct, right? That's correct. Okay. Um, and now recently you have gone off on your own and started your own company. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that company and what you guys do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the name of the firm is People First Advisors. Um, I've been plugging away for about three years. And it's really, um, it's been a blessing through this entrepreneurial phase of my life. I would say for the first 15 years, it was very traditional HR, uh, talent management, talent development. And, um, you know, I, I, I decided to take an off-ramp uh, with young kids and uh, was really excited to do that and take that next step. And I knew as part of that journey that I wanted kind of my own gig. So um, actually started working with people in transition uh, and helping them manage all the things that they had to manage uh, with that. And then I started working with college-bound students, and I had a blast, uh, you know, helping them with career development. And, um, you know, it just evolved. And I, you know, People First Advisors was born out of, you know, helping organizations continue to take great care of their people. And how do you do that? And so whether we call them personnel or human resources or human capital or talent, um, in my book, they're people. And uh, we work in teams. And so we got to do things well, like communicate and disagree mm -hmm. and manage conflict and get results. So that's kind of my background. Yeah. And I, I thought the, you know, when you came in to see us for the first time, I thought the, um, uh, your your company's name, I mean, resonated with everybody here immediately. I mean, obviously, we're all about, you know, maximizing the individual experience in the uh, in the professional world. And so, you know, we got to talking a little bit about, um, you know, the, the you know the people in your organization. And you know, I'm just curious to 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 hear from you. Like, what what do you see? I mean, you you gave your uh, company the name People First for a reason. So, what is it that you see? Um, in the kind of the corporate organizational space or even in the job market that, you know, would, would cause you to come up with a, a company name like People First? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, it, it, it was like a 24-hour thing. My accountant said, Gina, if you don't file your LLC, you're, you're going to make problems for me with your taxes. So I gave True. it 24 hours and I was like, it just, it resonated so easily. I think that as businesses evolve, and, and even if you look at like post-industrialized um, work environments, right? Making widgets, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we're still making widgets. Mm -hmm. We're in these environments where people need to be creative, innovative. They need to be compassionate towards their customers and towards each other as teammates. And yet we are forcing people to operate in a widget-making mindset. Mm -hmm. And yep. that is, I see it. I see it very clearly. Yep. I see it quickly. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. And mm -hmm. I think leadership teams appreciate that. And we just get down to work. 
Yeah. So we we feel the same way, and we've had similar observations in that. um, And I know you've probably heard me say this before, but, you know, society in general is moving towards the individual, right? And, And customization and personalization of experiences for the individual. Um, you know, Starbucks, right, is a great example. You can get your coffee just the way you like it. They have 20,000 different combinations. You go onto Amazon, it, it, it feeds you products because it knows what your tastes are based on prior buying history. You know, for, for the Spotifyers out there, you know, you get served up a mix every day um, that uh, just suits your taste. Now, if you share, share that account with, uh, with teenage daughters, your mix is a little wacko. Um, but, uh, but, but for the most part, you know, it's really customized to your tastes and, you know, you kind of look at that and you see that theme all over, all over this country. Yet when you get into the professional space, like the job market, when you get inside of corporations, I think you're right. It's, it's not that at all. Um, and we still seem to be managing people, I I think, the way we were managing them in the 90s. Mm. And and I, I hear you that that it is really still widget making. Um, you know, I kind of think about, uh, you know, back in the 90s, like everybody worshipped Jack Welch as a CEO and like the best developer of leaders and the best corporate leader ever. And he had this policy back then, um, and you probably remember Mm -hmm. it, where he would just fire the bottom 20% of his organization every year and would look at the cameras with a straight face and say, yeah, that's what was best for them, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, they just didn't fit here. Now they'll find something or someplace where they do fit. And, you know, at the time, people thought that was just bold and cool and great and companies were Mm. following suit. I mean, today, people look at that as just draconian. It would never work. But one of the other instruments that kind of came through GE at that time was the nine box. And the nine box is still prevalent um, within organizations. Uh, I, I would say more organizations use a nine box to, you know, review and discuss talent than anything else. And, um, you know, when you think back to, to widget making, I mean, I, I look at the nine box as, you know, something that is very anti-individual. Sure. Um, and it's very much about putting people literally in boxes. Yeah. Um, so what has been your experience with, you know, performance management and talent management? Um, I mean, do you see that, do you see that organizations really try to manage people sort of in groups with labels, mm. categories? I mean, do you see that as much as I do? Oh, man. So, it, yes, I, I think that, you know, okay, so... If we follow employee engagement surveys and, you know, Gallup over the last 25 to 30 years, call it satisfaction, happiness, you know, whatever the label, less than 50% of people throughout all those years feel satisfied, appreciated, right. like their job, mm-hmm. and wouldn't walk out if money wasn't an issue. I mean, that that's kind of the universal truth all along. And so I think if we... I'm a I'm a lifelong Covey fan, so let's put him on the table. Like, if we are truly seeking win-win or if we're 
really trying to understand the team around us, you have to understand your people first. And I think that we've been so top down, we've been so, you know, do what I say, not as I do. And, and it, it's, a, it's, it's a paradigm shift. I mean, my dad, I mean, he's a boomer. And he was, you know, when he got his first job, right, he felt lucky. Uh, when he, you know, he, he wasn't being bold at 23 or 24 and offering up, you know, ideas on how to improve a system. He was spoken, you know, he would speak when spoken to. And so we look at our work world today, how in the world and why in the world would we label folks and put them in groups? Like I could talk all day about the negativity around millennials right. or working parents right. or boomers or, you know, we talk about these different generations right. like they have different plagues. And I'm like, wow. And I remember that talk when I was coming up, right? Gen X are going to be the end of everything. We still might. Right. Uh, <laughs> we but, you know, it's not over <laughs> yet. But, um, right. I, I mean, I, we had this conversation the other day, um, you know, when we were thinking about our social media strategy. And, um, you, know, you know, there were some in the group that really want to kind of take more of a BuzzFeed approach mm -hmm. to appeal to one. And, you know, I my whole feeling was, yeah, they're millennials now. And, you know, I know there are a lot of labels they carry, but they're going to grow up sure. just like we all grew up. Yeah. Um, it's unavoidable. And, you know, when that does happen, um, I, I just think a lot of the, the angst with different generations is really just maturity. Agreed. Right. And then once, once you pass that curve, then you just start bitching about the next generation coming up. <laughs> right. It's just the next target. It's the next yeah. scapegoat. But at the end of the day, building trust is building trust. Yeah. Building teams has certain ingredients in it. Building leaders. I yeah. mean, leader, I believe they're not just born. I mean, I think there are people who have certain natural skill sets that lend themselves to be a good leader, but leadership can be successful and boiled down into different skills yep. that can be learned and trained and coached. And you just have to decide, are, are we going to invest in helping people learn how to be better leaders? Because, oh, by the way, if they take better care of their people, I'm pretty sure they're going to take better care yeah. of the clients and the things that they're working on and the things that they produce. Mm -hmm. you, know, I, and, you know, I think about developing leaders and again, you know, just kind of putting that, that looking through that lens of, you know, how, how do you maximize the individual experience? Because you, you had mentioned that, you know, engagement surveys show that fewer than 50% of people really like what they're doing or like yeah. their jobs. And anecdotally, I, I mean, just being in this industry now, um, I, I would say it's higher than that. Uh, I, just very few people are satisfied. And you know, I think a big part of it is people start to feel like a cog in a wheel and um, they, they start not to feel um, like they have something unique um, to offer and they start to feel that organizations don't really care about the uniqueness they have to offer. It's just do your role and, you know, play your part. And, uh, you know, so <clears throat> getting back to, um, you know, just some some practices within organizations that I think we have accepted over time just because that's that's how we've done it and that's how we manage people. You mentioned leadership training. I mean, even when it comes to leadership training, I keep thinking to myself, we, we continue to tell people that within organizations that there's one way of leadership. 
we have leadership competencies or, or, or leadership, you know, essentials right. or whatever. And by the way, there's 27 of them oh, yeah. on a list. Right. Yeah, that's probably Yay. too many. <laughs> right. but, but, but even let's just say it's five. Yeah. Let's say it's five. Um, and the senior leadership, you know, decided that it's these five things that make a great leader in this organization. You know, then you start training against it, um, giving feedback against it. But the reality is there are so many different ways to lead effectively in an organization in general. What do you think? And I, I think that boils down to style. I think that there's wonderful and diverse variations of style. And that that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think that for a leader to be able to bring out the best in their people, uh, to help them have healthy disagreements, to help them communicate better. I mean, I think there are some universals that they have to do well. Mm -hmm. And again, their style may lend itself to how they approach that and how they build those mm -hmm. relationships and those feedback loops and things like that. So I think the style should be of their own, but I think the skill set should still be measured, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in how, how they're carrying out um, leading that team. I love... Um, Simon Sinek's description of leadership is it's not about being in charge. It right. is about taking care of the people in your charge. Right. And I remember writing it down and I'm like, I, I didn't have to write it down. Mm -hmm. Like it hit me so hard that I was like, what a succinct way right. to remind us that that's the way it works. And by the way, that's the way the military looks at it. When you, when you look at a captain or, you know, a unit commander, I mean, it is they take care of each other all the way. Mm -hmm. And so I love to hear stories about how they take care of one another. Yeah, and I mean, you just said something that, that kind of piqued my interest a little bit in that, you know, your definition of leadership is exactly mine, which is, you know, leadership isn't about the leader necessarily. It's not leader-focused. It's, it's really about um, maximizing, you know, the talents that they have working for them. But that's not accepted in all organizations, sure. right? You can go from organ, organization to organization. Sure, you might have a servant leadership model there, but in a lot you don't. And so again, you know, you go into an organization and let's say you're just a natural servant leader that has worked for you. Mm -hmm. um, yet that's not the model that the organization is putting forward. And when it comes to um, you know, talent review, when it comes to performance appraisal, um, when it comes to training, it, it might run counter to what really works well for you. And, and so that's, that's just always been my, uh, my, my hang up a little bit with, with leadership curriculum. It's yeah. very much about creating uh, or pushing large groups of people through the same thing. And I think that's kind of what we're getting to yeah. um, with this company. And so the one thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, and I'm going to get to talent management last, but let's talk about performance management. So a lot of organizations are moving away from ratings. Yay. Right. <laughs> so I, I, want, I want your take on that. So there might be somebody listening who maybe is on the fence with this idea or you know, a little bit worried that would be too much of a radical change in their organization. But what's been your experience with moving away from ratings? So I really, I admire leaders who um, ask the question, why not, a lot. You know, so why not? Why, why you know, if, if, if nobody 
loves the performance management system. They, they hate it. Okay, they all hate it. They, yeah. You hate it being done to you. Right. And you hate having to prepare all this craziness. Right. I mean, I know, heck, my, you know, I have a family member who's a creative director, large, large multinational company. And it's like that whole process brings her to her knees for three weeks every single year. Right. And she can't get to what she's, you know, right. working on. And she's not recognized for the fact that she has really tight, great relationships mm -hmm. with her folks. Mm -hmm. They trust each other. They work hard together. They produce great things together. But she still has to go through that practice. Right. Um, I would say that if, you know, as a leader, number one, if you recognize that it's broken, I think you have a duty to figure out how to fix it. And not on your own, but leaning in and involving key stakeholders in the business to talk about how do we want to gauge performance mm -hmm. as a team and as individuals because i think there's value in both and so um you know the, the forced ranking is always been kind of crazy to me i know where it came from and it it never felt good. I never no. looked to be on the HR side of coaching a manager through that no. and having to complete that exercise that was very, very painful right. and then caused the ripple effect of the employees who knew they were lowly ranked, but they were right. like, I just didn't have any other number to give you. I right. ran out of numbers, right. but I love you. You do a great job. Here's three things I know you're working on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, you know, I've, I've been talking a lot lately with leaders about building a coaching culture. And if you do that, you don't need to do it annually. You're doing it ongoing. Right. And so you build, okay, so sometimes, yes, send them an email that says, you did these great things and right. I really appreciate it. And so that creates some kind of um, documentation, if you will, in someone's you know um, history. But I, I think it has to be a dialogue. Yep. I think it's, an, it's a narrative between those two folks and right. you know, goal setting, maybe not as much as goal setting, but like, hey, what are we really working yeah. on right now? And how can I support you? Yeah. Those are more valuable conversations than any uh, of these I, rankings. I totally agree. I mean, it's, it, it has become so mechanized, right? Performance appraisal, performance review has become completely mechanized and um you know there's just these elaborate processes and programs around it to your point that suck up an mm. inordinate amount of everybody's time everybody's time and you know i think about um ratings and kind of the the anxiety and behaviors that that it caused within organizations like managers don't like giving ratings to their people Right. Because, you know, especially when you're in a forced system, you, you know, somebody's has to be a, you know, a, a meets and you can't have all exceeds and somebody might be below. And it's just managers don't like giving the ratings. And then certainly um, employees, when they're doing a self appraisal, hate to give themselves a rating to push off to their manager. And then right. and then there's the waiting game of what the number really is. I mean, just think about that. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. It's a number, but that number carries with it a lot. Sure. It carries with it an increase. It carries with it how the organization views you. Um, you, you know, people are human. So if, you know, if you're uh, meets expectations for a couple of years in a row, then leaders start to look at you like you're uh, meets expectations forever. And, and quite frankly, um, I've seen, you know, individuals um, who have gotten the same rating two, three years in a row, start to believe that 
their average and and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so i mean i could go on and on it's there's so much more harm than good with ratings and i agree with you that it's a conversation between a boss and an individual and your goals are unique um, the way you go about it is unique um, why not just have an individual unique ongoing conversation you know about your development but also about you know your performance against objectives absolutely and and again it's going to be to your point unique for every organization so i don't i definitely don't believe in any kind of one size fits all mm -hmm. and you know i think i remember the first time we pitched separating annual compensation reviews and performance management and like everybody was losing their junk. They're like, well, but we manage it all together and there's this calendar and with time and, and we're mm -hmm. going, why do we do that? Right. Because then we even make the water muddier. Right. And I, I then think like these numbers that you're talking about, like when you get a number, you know your meets ex I'm I go to two places. I remember having this heavily explained when I went to my like second graders you know, conference with a teacher and they're like, this is what a five is, this right. is what a four, this is what a three. And of course you walk in and you think your kid is on five on mm -hmm. everything and you know, what have you. But I remember sitting there going, I wouldn't want these numbers shared with my eight year old. So right. why would I want as a full grown adult right. those numbers? Like think about football or any sport after every game, you know, you've got this short season, you know, four or five months, whatever it is, after every game, can you imagine if rankings came out? And then you got to play the next week based on the rankings your coaches gave you. Like, how deflating could that be? How anti-performance oriented could that be? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of teams do that. I think they do grade out their players. Um, but but again, it's it's it, it, it's about the conversation, right? I think versus just the the, the rating. Um, and then just to kind of switch gears, you know, let's talk about the nine box because I know that's, you know, kind of uh, sacred for a lot of HR teams and organizations. But I think the nine box is actually more damaging than performance appraisal ratings. I really do. How do you, in what way? Um, because with, with performance appraisal ratings, you're just talking about a year. Mm. With nine boxes you're talking about career mm. um and <clears throat> you know having sat in countless um countless talent reviews um and, and nine box sessions uh I, I just i can't i can't tell you enough um how, how crazy it is sometimes where there will be debate in the room whether or not a person's name should be in a five box or a six box. And I'm looking at everybody like, who cares? <laughs> Put them in the six box. I'm not going to fight you. Who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter. What matters, well, it does. But, um, you know, in, in my mind, it's about the person um, and, you know, where they are, where they can go. But, but what, what's really interesting, at least in my observations, is that when somebody is given the high potential label, like I would just get, I would get rid of high potential, mm. that label, any label, but that label in particular immediately. Um, it, 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 it is something happens, um, very natural, but something happens when you give somebody that label. Mm. 
right? There's sort of a feeling that you've arrived. And whether or not you have the conversation and, and you tell that person that, hey, you have to keep on performing, um, there's an expectation there, um, whether companies like it or not. Um, there is an expectation there that things are going to happen for that person. And what you realize very quickly is that there is no absolute when it comes to high potential. High potential, it's, it, it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, so, you know, you can have a boss who thinks you're the greatest thing ever, and then you can get the next boss, and they don't. And so have you changed? No, you haven't changed at all. Um, but you'll be treated very differently. And so I would always hear high potential say, I don't feel like a high potential anymore. Like I'm not being treated like that anymore. And then they leave. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one. But, um, but two, it's, it, it, it's people in the five box, which, you know, is, you're, you know, you're, you're playing an important role in the organization. Yet that group basically gets ignored in the five box. And I have been in many talent planning sessions, literally, where we are trying to fill roles internally and we get leaders together to talk about, you know, who, who's ready to move, who can go into what role. And as soon as they see the nine box, guess who they only want to talk about? <laughs> Take a guess. It's that upper right-hand corner, right? Right, And then nobody wants to talk about the five-box people, even though they could probably do many of those roles. But there's just something about the optics, the labels, right, the, 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 the image that goes with that, um, that I think gets in the way of real talent management. And I know I was really long-winded there, but please react. Well, I think that... Uh, just culturally, we like to define and label things. We like to do things quickly, whether it's lose weight or transform our bodies into some kind of CrossFit machine, you know, 10 minutes a day. Like, it's just, that's how I believe a lot of our wiring um, is, is set in, particularly in this country. And so putting it in a box, labeling it, ranking it, there's something... Um, that feels accomplished about doing that and it's a false sense of accomplishment which I agree with you completely um, but again it goes back to that tenant like who wants to be put in a box mm -hmm. and again just for this one point in time you know I remember taking you know just to kind of tag on the conversation that you had about like it's about the conversation around even even if there right. is ranking right it, mm -hmm. there, it's all about the conversation that takes place mm -hmm. around it and so back to my second grader example, like I'm fine with these. If you sit down as the teacher and you share it with them one-on-one, -on -one, I don't want to hand them a report card. I want you to hand them the report card and sit down and tell them mm -hmm. why you gave them what you gave them. Right. And so I would schedule those on my own. And so those conversations are what makes a huge difference. Assessments. I've worked with every assessment you can imagine, you know, from DISC to Myers-Briggs to Berkman and they're pretty powerful mm -hmm. tools, but they can also be some really damaging tools if, if they're, they're not misused. absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm a big, pro, you know, proponent of you just don't take it and get a report. Right. You have someone to sit down with that reviews with yeah. you, reviews with you and your manager yeah. or leader. Yeah. And it should ignite a conversation. It shouldn't label you or put you in a box. Mm -hmm. I remember taking one. Um, I think we talked about this before, like. 
this assessment that you take and all of a sudden you're like ruled out of a, you know, a, a right. hiring situation. Right. You're like, yeah. oh, great. They think I'm, I'm capable of something crazy. Yeah, they think I'm an axe murderer. But I, I remember someone, uh, you know, encouraging me 15 years ago. Jeannie, you should be in business development, sales. You, you know, you, you really do well. I was like, ah, you know, I've watched my dad be in sales his whole career. I'm not so sure that's for me. So I go in, I meet, you know, I get introduced to a couple folks, talk to them. They have me take an assessment, and they were like, yep, you're right. You should never be in sales. <laughs> now, two years later, I was brought on board with a company in the greatest environment. I was given just the right support, just the great, you know, the, the right colleagues around me. And not only did I hit goals, I exceeded goals. I was tapped on the shoulder to build new practices. I mean, I was obviously thriving. Yeah. But if I would have just rested on like, wow, that assessment really kind of knocked me out of the game. Right. I may not have right. ever pursued that again. Right. right. And, and, you know, there are, there, I mean, there are, there's a whole industry around, and especially in sales, you know, this is the profile of, you know, the salesperson of the future. And like organizations try to cram all their people into that profile. And I understand it to a degree, um, but I, I just think the world is more complicated than there's one profile um, okay. of, of success. And, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I agree. I mean, when it, even when it comes to just talent management, um, you know, I, I would much rather get to a place where, um, uh, you, you know, you're talking less about what box somebody needs to be in and you're talking more about, um, uh, you know, what is this person's next move and when, um, is it lateral or is it up, um, or is it down? I mean, that, that's a part of the conversation too, but, um, and talk about it, um, you know, free from the confines of the nine box, just put yeah. the names on a list and just let's go through it. And I think that's a much more productive way um, to move talent around your organization. To your point, yeah, you know, where an assessment can knock you out of a job that you would you were successful in. Um, the same thing's true with 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 nine boxes. I think I think it knocks people out of being considered for roles that they could do. Yeah, and I you know I'm big on courage, and it takes courage as a leader to say, let's scrap this nine box thing mm -hmm. and let's do something else and, and not have the answer quite yet, but say, We've, we can do better than this. Mm -hmm. And so I, it, 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 takes, it takes that courage, yeah. you know, to be able to say that. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I would encourage anybody listening to this, particularly if you're in HR, um, to just survey your organization and look look for areas where the organization is categorizing and labeling people and then behaving, you know, a certain way towards that person because of their label. I mean, look for those and give an honest assessment of what the impact is in the organization. Does it really do what you think it should do? Or is this just the easiest way to manage people? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Is yes. And, uh, you know, to the point earlier about making assumptions about millennials or whatever the youngest mm -hmm. generation in the workforce is and, and what generation right. they represent, right? Yep. You know, when, when we look at career pathing, when we look at career growth for individuals, you can begin to honor where they are in life. 
So just because they've been with you for five or six years, they've been put on a couple different assignments, maybe they got promoted, you know, maybe they reach a point in their life where they're like, I can't take on anymore right now. I just got to keep in this role and is, it, you know, have the conversations like, is it okay that I stay in this role for the next three to five years? I've got other stuff in life going on mm-hmm. that it's, it's not that I'm not invested. It's not that I'm not committed. It's just that taking another couple steps on this, whatever ladder I'm on, mm-hmm. I'm just not interested right now. Right. And then you don't get judged right. that you're not a team player right. or you're not, you know, a company champion like, we got to stop doing that. <laughs> I agree. All right. I think we're in violent agreement here, and uh, <laughs> the file size is getting huge. So nice. um, I, I'm probably going to wrap this one right now, but um, great conversation. This um, this went exactly the way I, I had hoped it would go. So, um, Gene, I really appreciate you coming in and, and doing your first podcast um, right. with, with us, and uh, hope to do more. So thank you. Yeah, this was fun. I We, we could segment – uh, about six podcasts off of I know just this one so that was it was good productive I agree all right this is Chris from landed we're out